I'm Dr. Selena Shaw, and I'm a sports medicine physician in Walnut Creek, California, also with a specialty in internal medicine, but I solely practice in sports medicine and also take care of a lot of dance companies and dance students in the area. So dance medicine is really my niche when it comes to sports medicine. Could you just talk a little bit about what you're seeing with the population you treat in terms of how they're being affected by this um, COVID crisis? Sure. So, you know, the population in general, let's talk about the non-dancers. I mean, there are a lot of patients who are adhering to the shelter-in-place order that has been placed out here in California, and our counties in the Bay Area were one of the first to be affected. And so we have a lot of patients that are postponing their appointments or canceling, and some, when able to, by insurance, moving to televideo visits. Now, the dancers are also affected in the same way in terms of patient population-wise, but in terms of their practice and uh, performance and all of that has, of course, been negatively affected as well. So theaters shut down long before our shelter-in-place order was implemented, so a lot of the companies already started canceling their performances, trying to prevent people from gathering in mass such as an audience, and of course that has a huge impact on their ability to earn income because they're no longer rehearsing, and also the companies are losing major revenue from not having the audiences there as well. And the dance students, of course, are unable to attend class because the studios are closed, and so a lot of the studios have actually moved to online teaching, but we all know that that's not ideal, but at least it keeps dancers moving and occupied and getting some exercise for some time. Um, How are you addressing these things with patients, and how are you helping people with these challenges? Yeah, it's really a tough time because each person's situation is so different and so complex, and no one person really has it easy during this time because Each person is affected by what it is they earn income from and are they able to continue to do so at home and also do they have a family that they're trying to feed and support. Um, It's also difficult in terms of even getting adequate supplies that are needed for just day-to-day living, you know, things like food on the table and risky to even go shopping because we don't know who's touched what and trying to come home and clean everything the best you can and put that away, you know, so there's all of those issues. And so I think there's a lot of messages out there from the news, from texting, social media is rampant with all kinds of information. And I think it's really important to make sure that people are looking at resources that are reliable because the downside of a lot of the information that's being spread is that not all of it's accurate. And so, It's important to really make sure that people are adhering to what is evidence-based and based on science. And that's the message I'm basically giving people as well. There are certainly people that are still wanting to come into the clinic to be seen, and there are some urgent patients that do need to be seen. And so for that, I am available, but making sure that we're screening every patient to make sure they have no symptoms or risk factors of any sort of travel anywhere They haven't been in contact with anyone. And then we, as a whole, are wearing masks and cleaning every single thing that anyone potentially touches, making sure that there's ideally only one patient in the room at a time so that if they do need to be seen, I'm at least available to them. What we don't want happening is all of these people that are getting injuries and have joint issues and aches and pains that really are adding to their stress in life to have to go to the urgent care. So certainly all of the doctors, no matter the specialty, are essential. It's just a matter of trying to postpone people that don't have an emergent immediate need to actually physically be seen. So trying to postpone things that can wait and do televideo visits when it's possible and only seeing the people that absolutely need to be seen in the clinic, but making sure that they pass the screening test and trying to use whatever precaution we can. And certainly people that have been coming in 
all seem to have an understanding and, you know, are complying and talking about their various life stories. And I certainly am there as a soundboard and trying to help give ideas on how to continue to maintain their safety and also trying not to become completely isolated from people. So certainly talking and calling people on the phone and going out for walks, but making sure that they stay ideally actually 10 feet away from anyone that they do not know that does not live in their household. So it's a little bit hard to go for a walk with a friend when you almost have to yell at them for them to hear you, but it's certainly safer. It's probably actually easier in this time to just talk on the cell phone, which most of the time is very annoying when you're outside in a park walking, but <laughs> right now is probably the best thing to do, actually. So, um, yeah, so... Um, you know, but in some ways trying to look at the positives that could potentially come out of this as well. I've been educating people on the fact that all of this hygiene is actually good. And I think if people wash our hands, yes, we should be cleaning our hands more. You know, how many times have you been to a coffee shop where if you didn't like your drink, they used a spoon to, you know, add more stuff into it, whether it was a sweetener or more flavor. And then they use that spoon to stir it and they use that same spoon for someone else that should never be done ever and I hope those kind of practices stop I also think that educating people on how to manage their common colds coughing into their sleeves you know covering their mouths with their sleeves not their hands and if they do use their hands they've got to wash their hands right away you know if through this we can get rid of some of the common colds decrease our flu incidence that will be great and if we can maintain some of these health standards moving forward that would be great now it will be impossible to continue wiping everything down constantly that i understand but at least some of these other standards and just making people aware that any kind of sickness it would be great to not continue spreading you know if we can decrease the incidence of everything else that's more benign that would be great yeah the flu is flu is also very dangerous seasonal flu very so, um... Um, do you have any particular perspectives do you feel like as a physician in terms of um, worries you have about the coming months or just um, public service announcements that you want to make about the coming months, things that you think we might be overlooking and um, need a little medical perspective on? Sure. I, you know, I think the biggest thing to keep in mind here is this virus is an, a complete unknown. You know, we are looking to what other countries have already experienced, such as China and Italy, but our country is a mix of so many people, so many races, so many ages, huge socioeconomic diversity, different from China, different from Italy, that the way that the virus is going to manifest in the United States is likely going to be different, and we're already seeing those numbers. We thought from China that really it was the elderly that were at most risk. We are seeing differences here in the United States where people from 20 on up are being hospitalized and they're being hospitalized because they're very sick from this virus. The young are also being hospitalized less than 20. Chances are that the less than 20 can come through this better than those that are older than 20 but it is not the over 60 to 80 that people were thinking. This is serious for every single person out there. And I think another huge important message is that a lot of people are carriers and have absolutely no symptoms. And some people may never get symptoms but are still carriers. And that's the reason this whole social distancing is so important. We don't want to be passing it on to someone else, even young, that could become susceptible. The biggest issue is that we're trying to decrease the number of cases in terms of how rapidly it spreads because our hospitals are already getting overrun. In California, they're already talking about turning Santa Clara Convention Center, for example, into a hospital where they're going to be taking care of patients that do not have coronavirus that are as seriously ill. We in the United States are actually experiencing something like this. That is shocking. We don't have the same infrastructure or government base that China has where once they set the quarantine in force. And in the United States, unfortunately, we're seeing not all states are doing this at once, which would be better. And not everybody's complying. There are a lot of people that are in denial and reading some completely inaccurate information on the Internet that is swaying them to make really bad decisions that are not only going to potentially affect them but the people they love. 
And so if we don't hunker down the way that China was able to, we are not going to see the decrease in number of cases that they're seeing. They report this on the news to show that this can happen, but my concern is we are rapidly heading the way that Italy did where people did not comply. They are seeing a significant number of deaths. They had close to 700 yesterday, above 600 today in one day. That's incredible. And really scary. And it's because you had those people that didn't comply. And we are seeing that here in the United States. And I'm really scared that we are going to quickly have too many people sick to become, to have access to the ICU care. And people are going to be put in tough positions in terms of who gets to be on the ventilator and who doesn't. And that's not a good position for anybody to be in. So ideally, the whole country would be doing this at once and should be doing this very strictly. If we don't, we are not going to have that flatten the curve occur that everybody's talking about. What flatten the curve means is decreasing that peak so that we spread out the number of people that are going to be sick over time as opposed to having everyone get sick at once. If you get everyone sick at once, we're going to have a significant number of deaths because people are not going to have access to care because we just don't have the capacity. Yeah. Serious. I, all my friends who work in healthcare, who are working in hospitals right now, have very um, sobering perspectives on this. You know, the human human mind is always wanting, never wants to face something this serious. Doesn't want to accept it. The human mind is ready to see any positive, and so it's so easy for some people to be convinced by completely erroneous, terrible information on the internet that is going to end up killing a lot of people with people looking at that and thinking that that's real. And there's a lot of information about various treatments that are going to, that work for coronavirus. Believe me, it is being researched heavily. And if those were true, we would all know about it. Not all of that works. <laughs> but just be careful. Hi, this is Ellie Kushner and you're listening to dance well podcast. That was our first ever cold open. All around the world, you're probably thinking about the same thing we are right now, and that's COVID-19. Whether you're in isolation, whether you've just come out of it, or whether your country is contemplating it, dancers around the world are being affected by this pandemic in unique and special ways. For this episode 64, Dancing Through COVID-19, I spoke with five different practitioners to get a sense for how they are experiencing this crisis and how their dancers that they work with are coping. You just heard from physician Dr. Selena Shaw, and next you'll hear from Amanda Donahue, who is a certified athletic trainer. She'll talk more specifically about telehealth and how that's working, especially for dancers who are used to a lot of hands-on treatment. Then we speak to Jennifer Milner, who's a Pilates teacher and a ballet coach in Dallas, who takes us through some different ideas for conditioning during this time and also talks a bit about safety and safe practice during COVID-19. Then Kristen Koskinen, who's a registered dietitian, nutritionist, um, sheds a lot of light on immunity and how to sort of think about food in this time um, where your first choice may not be available, um, and sort of the relationship between coping strategies and food choices. Finally, we close with Dr. Paula Thompson, who recently did an episode with us. She's a licensed clinical psychologist, and um, I think her words are sobering and affirming and hopeful. During this time of worldwide crisis, Marissa and I hope that this episode brings you some increased understanding and some help, and we hope you're all healthy and well and taking good care of yourself and reaching out when you need it. So from the isolation of my New York City apartment, I bring you episode 64, Dancing Through COVID-19. Buckle your seatbelts. On this episode, nutrition, life coach, dance and performance, psychological, psychological development. development. And today you are in for treatment. Hi. Hello. 
This is Ellie Kushner. And this is Marissa Schaefer from Dancewell Podcast. Dancewell Podcast. Uh, my name is Amanda Donahue, and I am the dedicated certified athletic trainer for the John Phelps Palladino School of Dance and School of the Arts at Dean College, located in Franklin, Massachusetts. Um, so right now, in the midst of this COVID crisis, um, what do you feel that your, your dancers need? Right now, I think the biggest thing is that dancers need to feel a sense of connection and community to myself and the faculty and staff at our institution. Um, I think right now we're all kind of experiencing that sense of what isolation brings, um, you know, frustration and loneliness um, and trying to reach out and, you know, just seeing how each other are doing. Um, but I think right now what we've been able to do and what I've been exploring as an athletic trainer is the world of telehealth and how we are making virtual connections with our students to try to simulate that face-to-face interaction the best that we can uh, to bring some type of normalcy to the situation, if that's even possible. Um, but that's, I think, that connection and sense of community to really give each other an opportunity to say, hey, this is how I'm feeling today. Um, Let's talk through some stuff. Could you talk us through telehealth? It's, it's, um, I mean, lots of medical professionals have moved to telehealth right now, partially because of the isolation, but also because um, we, we don't want the medical field getting too bogged down um, with other visits. So could you just talk us through how telehealth works? Sure. Um, so telehealth, this is something that's really new to uh, myself, but it's something that has been validated that we can use this as healthcare professionals. So the steps that I had to go through working at Dean was first examining uh, our state licensure uh, practice act to make sure that was within our scope as athletic trainers, uh, that we could actually do this. Um, And then having conversations with my overseeing physicians at Boston Children's Hospital, seeing what patients would they be able to see and offer should we need to make a referral to them. Um, identifying like what works, what states they're licensed in, you know, did you have a dancer that was seen in clinic at the hospital uh, first, or was it something that was seen at the college? Um, And once we've kind of established that, it was then bringing that to our institution and seeing what healthcare providers at Dean, so sports medicine, uh, health services, and also counseling services, just discussing amongst each other, how are we handling this? And is this something that's going to be supported by the institution? What's the best platform to utilize? Um, What type of waivers do we need uh, to produce for the students to sign? Um, And then once we had that completed, um, that was then run by our legal department at the institution to say, yep, this is what we need to do. and then identifying like what is going to be the process for the students to connect with us um, on those different platforms. So specifically at Dean, we're using Microsoft Teams, and that is something that is HIPAA protected. Um, so that will help with you know encryption and making sure that things are confidential and, and making checking kind of checking off those boxes of things that you need to check off as a healthcare provider with that transition. Um, so that's, yeah, so that's how we're making it work with telehealth with the students. That's a lot of collaborative effort that goes into that. Um, Absolutely. As an athletic trainer, I would imagine that a lot of your um, skills and modalities and resources are hands-on. So, mm-hmm. you know, you do yep. a lot of <laughs> massage, you do a lot of um, really hands-on correcting and cueing for exercises and stretching and things like that, wound care. Uh, how, what is this experience like for you to take your skills and try to put them on the phone? Sure. Um, so what I've done personally to try to help myself in this transition, uh, is actually taking webinars that from other healthcare providers or physiotherapists, um, that have been doing this for a while and seeing how, what does their process look like? So personally for me, that's how I've been kind of preparing for this to really make sure that I'm delivering the level of care that needs to be delivered for my students. Um, I think it's really giving, you know, healthcare providers an opportunity 
to really improve on uh, their ability to assess movement and also to give verbal cues that are meaningful and direct for the patients to make sure that you're getting them to do the movements that you'd like them to do uh, without actually being able to be hands-on with them or seeing, you know, taking an assessment of what's actually available in their space. Do they have any equipment necessary uh, to do exercises? Does it need to be body weight exercises? Some of the, you know, the dancers that I've had conversations with already is they really only have the space the size of a yoga mat to work with, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it's not necessarily within a safe area that they can go outside and jump around, you know, in regards to impact. So I think it's really, you know, taking an opportunity to assess what the dancers have available, what they need, you know, is it an opportunity to identify, you know, do they need exercises at the moment or is it, do they just need to talk through how are they going to plan out their week in this transition to now working with courses that are online, which are typical movement classes. Um, But it's, it's definitely going to be a learning process and there's a learning curve to it. Um, But I think this is going to be a big change across the medical community as well and other athletic trainers to really kind of open up a different avenue of ways to reach the students, especially during the summer. I think that's going to be um, a way to reach our students too, where typically, you know, an athletic trainer may only have a nine to 10 month contract if they're not employed with an institution during the full year. Um, So I think it's also expanding and creating new opportunities for us to reach our students where we might not have explored earlier, but now we're forced to do it. So um, we're definitely learning a lot from it. Yeah, I I feel similarly, I've put, I, um, among other things, teach Pilates. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I've always been reticent to do any video work for a number of reasons, but now I have to. And actually there are things that I'm gonna keep if life goes back to normal. Yeah. Um, how could you imagine this working back into your life if, if um, things sort of shift back to normal? Sure. I, I mean, I think hanging on to this from a perspective of checking in with new incoming students uh, into their freshman year uh, when we don't, if we don't have the opportunity to have a preseason like you would in traditional sports. Um, I think it's a way where initially we're, you know, we're giving them you know, home exercises to start with, with that physical preparation. But I think, again, having that ability to connect with them wherever they are in the country and do that check-in and look at their movement and give it a more individualized approach is definitely something I am going to be utilizing moving forward. Um, And I think too, it also adds a level of empowerment for the students as well, because you're really forcing them to help heal themselves without having someone physically touching them mm-hmm. and putting their hands on them. And I think if they, you can make changes that way, I think that's, that's so awesome to be able to do that, to give to your patient that way. So um, I, I think I'm really excited about that element of it too. Um, and a lot of times too, in the collegiate setting, uh, with athletic trainers were managing multiple students at once. So this is now a one-on-one opportunity to work with someone to give them feedback. But at the same time, if we want to hold a session where we're doing a, you know, a group class as you would, but having multiple people, you know, log into that Zoom session or anything like that to do hold a full class, I think that's another opportunity we can do um, that necessarily we wouldn't have thought that we'd be able to previously. Um, so that I think that's what I'm going to hold on to the most. Great. Do you have any advice or um, condolences or commiserations or <laughs> words of encouragement <laughs> sure. for both colleagues and um, other dancers out there? Sure. I think, you know, taking it day by day is something that we all have to kind of acknowledge and recognize and that everyone's experience through this is going to be very different. So my first question always to my dancers in these sessions is how can I help? What is the biggest challenge that you are facing right now in this moment? And how can, how can I help you talk through that? Um, 
I think that's really kind of the biggest thing right now is just I really identifying that and not making assumptions that, okay, I'm going to come in with this game plan of we're going to go over these exercises. That's what's going to happen today, which you may have that element of it. But I think it with every week and every day, how so much is changing now, we, we have to take a second and pause and check in and move forward from there and just really be flexible for it. So, and be there for each other. Um, I, you know, as much as where I think the faculty and staff were looking out for our students to, I think, maintaining our connection as a faculty and staff and, you know, scheduling those meetings to check in with a Zoom or a FaceTime or however it is as a team to make sure that we are doing okay as well. I think that's hugely important too. Well, Amanda, thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, you know, I just, Stay connected, reach out to people, um, don't take things on yourself. Um, it's a community that we all have to really kind of stick together and make sure that we're doing okay. So, you know, not to be afraid to reach out and say, I need a little support here. How do I make this work? Hi, I'm Jennifer Milner. I am a Pilates teacher and private ballet coach, and I am based in uh, Dallas, Texas. Great. So um, what dancer population do you work with and how do the dancers you know seem to be affected by this COVID-19 crisis? Well, the majority of the dancers that I work with, because it's in Dallas, um, are pre-professionals. So I train a lot of uh, very serious dancers looking to move forward into um, significant companies. And they are, I think the biggest thing they're struggling with right now is um, worry and fear about the future, what, what's going to happen to them if they get deconditioned and sit out, um, but also that little bit of a sense of identity as well. Uh, I see them I see them a little bit lost and adrift if they don't have something to work towards. Um, and I think one of the good things that has come out of this so far has been the way that the dance community has reached out and really shared their gifts with everybody online. The amount of virtual um, live streaming classes that have come out over the last week is just amazing. And so instead of my dancers having zero classes, they could have two or three classes a day uh, getting to take from teachers that they would only just dream about. So I've been encouraging that for them. And the ones who are, who are doing that and looking on it as a fun opportunity are doing really well. Uh, the ones who are saying YAGP was canceled, ADC, IBC was canceled. I, I was counting on these opportunities for scholarships, for invitations to summer programs, for invitations to year-round programs. That's where the anxiety and the worry starts to set in. And, you know, there's a fair amount of things in a dancer's life that she can't control. And so we focus on the things that we can control. And when one more thing gets taken out of what you can control, that worry and fear may start to turn to unhealthy habits and unhealthy patterns. It may turn to disordered eating. It may turn to over-exercising. Um, it may turn to over-stretching. Um, so I'm seeing a fair amount of sort of swinging back and forth from, well, if I'm not a dancer, who am I? Well, what can I control? And, and trying to find a way to find their identity within it and keep moving forward with that identity um, to the best of their ability. Yeah, those are two, a couple really important points there. I mean, the issue about identity and um, sort of focusing on these activities for your identity, that is something that I think is often present in dancers' lives and sometimes doesn't surface until there's an injury or they decide to quit dancing. So in some ways, if these dancers can find a way to navigate through this challenging time, hopefully they'll build some skills that actually could make them more resilient um, in, the in the long run, just the way sometimes an injury can lead to greater resiliency in the long run. Absolutely. And, and I've seen the same thing, like you said, when I, when I lived in New York, most of my clientele was professional and working in very well-known companies. And those injuries would bring about the same feelings and the same concerns and the same worries that my pre-professionals are having now. So I think it is really helpful 
in the long run for these dancers to wrestle with these questions now and to think, what is my identity outside of dance? What does, where does my compass point if it is not, if dance is not my true north? Um, and, and nobody should have dance be their true north as their compass, right? Everybody should have some sense of identity outside of dance. And one of the things I'm hoping is that our dance community, um, people like you, can can have some maybe live stream conversations about what is there outside of dance since you're sitting at home let's talk about it here's how i got where i am here's how my where how my friend got here where she is and and maybe this is a chance for other dancers to sit down and say what do i want to do after all this is over how do i want to use my gifts um i think one of the biggest questions that dancers has is what else can I, like, what else am I good at? Not out, not what else can I do, but we spend so much time making ourselves so good as a dancer that we forget we have other gifts to offer, some of which were developed because we were dancers. Um, and I think that's important for dancers to explore. And you also mentioned, you know, all the live streaming of classes, which is um, exciting, but sort of being conscientious about safety because, you know, if we, if we do get into an issue right now, it, it could be a while before we, we get treatment. That is an excellent point. And that is something that I speak with every single one of my dancers about as they take these classes. And to me, there's two types of, of classes being streamed online right now. There's the classes that are being live streamed from a ballet studio somewhere. That's a full on class with the dancers going. And then there's the live stream that someone like I've done in the past is just in their house doing a home bar. And and the live stream classes, I am very cautious with my dancers. And I say, that's a beautiful thing to watch. And it's great to watch the corrections. It's fine to dance along for some of the bar, as long as you're in a safe space. Um, but home is really not the place to be doing center work. I don't care how big your floor is. You know, doing some balance combinations, doing some stationary adagio work for standing leg that kind of thing is fine if you have the room but it's not the place to work on turns it's not the place to work on jumps it's not the place to work on on traveling jumps and traveling turns you know you can twist your ankle so easily on carpet you can wipe out and fall you can jump a lot on your nice wooden floor which is glued down to the cement and end up with having stress reactions in your shins and having no way to get to get help for it so I love watching those big group classes, but I encourage the dancers to remember it's not the same at home. And that's why I love people that are streaming their home bars because you can see, oh yeah, we have to watch out for the piano bench or, oh yes, it's on carpet. So make sure your frappes aren't striking too hard on the floor. Everybody needs to understand they have to adapt and they have to number one, stay safe, right? Above all, we're not going to be in the same shape that we were in when this started. And I think we all need to look around the room and nod and agree that with that. We are not going to have the same height of our big Grand Allegra jumps, and we're not going to be able to knock off into full-length Swan Lake a week after we get back in class. And for us to all acknowledge that and say we're all in this boat together, everyone understands that, we're going to do the best that we can, and we're going to stay safe, and we're going to come out of it healthier dancers. Absolutely. And we might have stronger cores when we get back there. And we might have, I don't know, stronger skills of imagery. You know, I, mm -hmm. I'm gonna give a plug here for the IADAMS um, resource paper on class for injured dancers, you know, and there's a lot you can do. You could use that even if you're not injured, it would apply to being homebound. You know, I, I know that pretty much every dancer in probably most genres that are ballet or contemporary based need to work on their arms from mm. the ages of about seven to you know, 17 and beyond. So you can sit on a chair and you can do the Royal Ballet across the floor with just your arms and your mm. or you can lie on the floor and do that exercise through the form of imagery rather than execution. Um, so do you have any other ideas of things that dancers could do safely at home? Um, I love that idea of sitting yourself down and doing just the port de bras as you watch along to a big, beautiful class. I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, I think that safely at home is the perfect time to work on um, whatever issue is bothering you, like you said. 
Um, I love just watching videos of some of my favorite dancers. <laughs> and, I've, and I've told my dancers, watch through it twice, watch it once. And just say, wow, that was amazing. And then watch it a second time and take notes. Oh, yeah, my renverse is so tricky. Oh, look the way she kind of leans into it right before she goes into that renverse. Or I would be exhausted at this point in that Giselle variation. Where is she finding the time to breathe and kind of gather herself again? So learning to analyze and look at things critically is such an easy thing to do during this time and taking all of the free stuff broadway.com has been putting up free broadway shows and paris opera ballet yes they're (laughs) live streaming stuff like seriously i i could fill my day (laughs) yeah there's great stuff to look at right now and so it's amazing on how to look and how to learn from watching is really a great idea it's really, it's a really fantastic time for creativity to be happening. Um, there's a, a site on Instagram called Dancing Alone Together, and they've been trying to kind of curate all of the classes that are being offered online, but they're also posting opportunities to, um, they're posting uh, like cues for you to throw something really creative together or somebody will spearhead. I'm going to be choreographing a piece and here's the music and here's the move I want to start with. Let me see your 10 seconds of it or your ideas. And then trying to gather that together. So there are ways to feel like you're still part of a community and still fired up and still, um, still contributing artistically. And I also think we forget that we have a lot to offer. I think we forget we have a lot to offer other people. Um, I think that just the videos that are already out there bring people a lot of great joy. And I know that as dancers, we think, well, what what can I possibly do during this time? Um, Laura Benanti, who's a, a musical theater star, has told high school kids to send her clips of their high school musicals that they're not going to get to do this Aww. year. And she will watch them. And Aww. Lin-Manuel Miranda is joining her. Oh, my God. And so these famous Broadway people are sitting at home watching these kids and bringing joy to these kids because they can, because they have something to offer and they are they are offering that. They are reaching out with generosity and empathy and saying, here's what I have to offer and 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 here's what I can do for people. And I think Everybody has that potential, including dancers. So when when you're sitting at home, dance a little 30-second little dance thing and send that to your grandma as her birthday card, you know? (laughs) You can still reach people and you can still bring people so much joy. So there's there's ways to do this, and I think we're going to come out the other side of it stronger than we were when we went into it. I'm Kristen Koskinen. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist. I have a private practice based in Washington State, but my practice is virtual, so I'm able to reach clients um, around the country. And I work with um, a lot of dancers. It's I don't only work with dancers, but I work with a lot of dancers. And um, I provide a functional and integrative approach to my practice, which so, which essentially means we look at the whole dancer, the whole person, and how um, all aspects of your life and your physiology roll into your health and performance and what we can do with food and nutrition strategies to maximize what you're doing and, what you're, and help you meet your goals. Well, I would imagine this is certainly a circumstance that is... Uh... Integrative, I mean, it's such a multi, there are so many factors that are coming up with this crisis. Um, So how are you seeing that from that perspective? How are you seeing that um, affect the dancers that you work with? Yes. So a lot of dancers work with me because they want, they come to me because they have particular issues, whether it's they're concerned about their weight, they just want to perform well, they're trying to create um, nutrition strategies for performance, like when should I eat, when should I drink, what, and those kinds of things. And for a lot of people, that's currently on hold. Um, And so, and instead it's being replaced with what do I do in my current circumstance and, and immunity. A lot of people are really concerned about what can I do to bolster my immunity 
um, because staying well and when this, you know, through all this is important and, and there are things you can do with your, with your food and diet. Um, since we don't have the usual resources available to us, we get to be creative, which, you know, is fun. We like creativity. What sorts of, what are some of the top things? I don't want to oversimplify the complexity of what you do in your work, but what are a few things that you're telling these people um, in terms of boosting immunity right now? Sure. Oh, it's, there are some simple things and you know what, it, it's important to bring it to simple. So one thing that we can do for our immunity is not under eat. So many dancers are, they're concerned. I'm not working out enough, which is driving anxiety, maybe some disordered eating. And even if they didn't come to the table with either of those concerns, they may start to undereat, which can compromise immunity. So not only do you need, a lot of people are going to say, oh, it's all the fresh fruits and veggies, which may or may not be available to you, but you also need an adequate calorie and protein load to keep your immune system bolstered and where it needs to be. So number one, don't undereat. Number two, as you can, you know, protein's going to be coming in different capacities now, depending on what you have available. Um, and it's okay to not, you know, grass-fed, wild-caught may not be an option right now. And that's okay. That's okay. We're going to go with what we have. Our bodies are resilient, but you need to give them something to work with. We can, we can move more toward our ideals later. Um, I recommend citrus is a good one because it, it tends to be readily ex, um, accessible. It, oranges, lemons, limes tend to be inexpensive. And you can do more with the whole fruit than people necessarily think. So eating, of course, eat the flesh. We don't want to waste things by just juicing. Eat the flesh and eat the pith. So you can maximize this. The pith actually has may have as much vitamin C as the fruit, the flesh of the fruit. And it also includes fiber, which helps to fuel your microbiome. That starts to get kind of crazy, you know, like what's that and all the things, but your gut supports your immune system. And these are some simple ways we can do it. Any other additions to that immune point that you'd like to hit? Those are really important ones you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, another thing is if you can't, not everyone lives someplace or is in a, is in a situation or another when, where they can get outside. If you can physically get outside do it. Expose your limbs and your face to sunshine, especially between 10 and 2. This helps your body to produce vitamin D. If you can't do that, get near an open window. Um, but really, if you can get outside, it's good for your mental health. It's good for your physical health. A lot of places, even if they're on a shelter at home, are allowing people to go and you know access trails and hike or go to non-crowded shores, stuff like that. Um, I would do that. If you can choose when you do have the opportunity to shop, get produce as it's available. It may or may not be. If you can, if you have some place where you can get some plants and maybe grow something in your window. So you have some herbs, do that. That's a bolster. Plus it's just nice to have life. Um, and and really, it's, it's you know, we're going to have to work with, with what we have. Um, I created a, a shelf stable to table kind of work got, workbook, kind of um, a collection of recipes to help people get started with things they may have or may have access to. So that's all excellent advice. Is there anything else that you're seeing come up or things that you want to just address or things, even maybe some unanswered ideas that are around in your head at this time? Um, yeah, I think a lot of it really tends toward this perfectionism and what we're doing. And I want to emphasize that bodies, you know, your, your plans may shift right now and, and it's okay. Your, your training is going to shift. Your nutrition plans and strategies are going to shift. And all of this is okay. There's not going to be an expectation that everyone has been at home utilizing all these resources to come out at their peak performance, you know, and, and being exercising some grace with the process can help manage anxiety because I do see a lot of anxiety is coming from the situation. And so, you know, managing 
anxiety levels to the best you can. Um, for some people, that might also mean um, backing off alcohol. It definitely, you know, self-medicating might, you know, look at yourself medicating and why you're doing it and if it's in your best interest. Um, not driving too much caffeine. Comfort foods can have a role, but if what you're finding is you eat comfort foods and then your mood drops off, maybe maybe shift that and look at some other ways, some other sources of comfort to bring into your repertoire to help you maintain level level mood um, throughout things. I don't want to make light of um, the situation that we're in, but it's it's personally to me like we're in this scary pandemic state but I also feel like some things in my life are healthier than others <laughs> than they have been in the past mm -hmm. like I'm spending too much time on the screen I have these waves of anxiety but on the other hand like I'm cooking so much <laughs> I'm making yes. so many foods at home and I feel like resourceful with food you know and like you said kind of getting away from some of that perfectionistic um obsession on healthy organic this that but just being like Hmm. What's everything I can do with a can of beans right now? <laughs> Actually, right. It feels kind of um, positive and healthy and stimulating. Are there other things that you can imagine sort of actually being um, improved by our current situation? Oh, absolutely. I completely agree with you. And I guess you know, to me, I roll back in my mind. I compare this to um, what people experienced during wartime. So during World War II, when people were at home or there were food rations, and the idea of expressing your creativity is a great one. A lot of people, here's the thing, a lot of dancers don't necessarily have skills in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So they may see back, like dried lentils, like they, I've got this on my shelf. What am I supposed to do with it? Well, there are a few things. And, you know, we, and we can open these resources up and I, I'm doing what I can, but I'm certainly open to finding out what people need to help match that. But it's like, you know, you have these lentils and you can create a meal. And if it doesn't work out great, it's okay. You know, we're all going to, we're trial. It's, you can trial and learn. And, and without the pressures, these outside pressures that we have to have everything a particular way, and it has to be perfect, or it's got to look like Pinterest or what I saw <laughs> on Instagram. It doesn't, it really doesn't. This is about nourishing yourself the best you can. And that's all you really that's all you have to do right now. And, and the best you can really, you know, is it's a little bit, I think it is, I think it's liberating and to just to not to only work with what's in your pantry or what's in your freezer um, to push those boundaries. That's really where, isn't that where a lot of the creativity comes? We, we, you know, we learn all the technique, we learn all the things and then we go break the rules and that's where the magic may come in because you can do that. That's right. Or like artistically, yeah, uh, the poor artists of the 1960s who said, well, these are the three cans of paint that I can afford. What can I make with this? Yes. Um, if people do have questions, there are definitely a lot, you know, we have some great dancer dietitians available. I can, I can drop names if it's helpful because they're on social media and I'm sure that a lot of them are available for, you know, you can message them. We all kind of um, tend to um, our own little niche areas, but we can also refer um, to each other, to other healthcare professionals who may help you with other concerns you have. There's a very broad loving community in dance medicine and, um, you know, we're, we, we really are all in this together and just want to help each other the best we can. I'm um, Dr. Paula Thompson. I am a licensed clinical psychologist in private practice in Los Angeles. I'm professor at California State University, Northridge, and professor, at Emer professor emeritus at York University in Canada. I run the dance program at California State University, Northridge, and before that, I uh, had a dance company, was a professional dancer, and continued to choreograph. Um, so based on what I'm hearing from the dancers that I'm in contact with and my students, uh, what, what this COVID-19 crisis has kicked off is a lot of existential fear or dread. Um, the the most obvious for any dancer is do i even exist without dance 
So there's this existential crisis of self. Um, will I have a future career in dance? Um, if I get COVID-19, will it destroy my lung capacity and limit my dancing? Um, will I lose somebody that I love to COVID-19? Or will I spread it and cause someone to die whom I love? And um, <clears throat> many of the dancers that I'm in contact with clinically, they're very uh, imaginative and they are well aware of all the symptoms. So in the middle of the night, they'll wake up and they'll feel like they've got GI distress, that they're coughing, their chest is tight, they're hot, and they feel like these are all the symptoms of COVID-19, but they're also the symptoms of anxiety and panic attacks. So they're manifesting a lot of these symptoms and forever checking. The only thing that seems to be concrete is their temperature by thermometer it says, no, you don't have a temperature. But yeah, their imagination is pushing. And it's interesting, the dream life that I'm hearing reported, some are dreaming vividly of dancing on stage and having these glorious performances. And others are imagining or dreaming that they're literally walking off a cliff or that things are, um, the walls are crumbling down. So either structures are falling apart or stage is sublime, which is really interesting. And um, along with the existential uh, terror, uh, uh, Many of them are manifesting certainly acute stress disorder symptoms that may become PTSD. One of the most fundamental is that there's no future and no sense of self. Uh, depression, especially for those who have depression already, is getting more severe. Their sense of pleasure, their sense of self is diminishing. And the scary thing with depression is that the immune system is compromised. So there's more um, likelihood that there will be more illness or certainly shortening of life if depression persists at that level. And a few are um, really filled with suicidal ideations, which I find extremely troubling. The social isolation is not helping with that because one of the antidotes is social community. And they're trying to do it online, but it's just not the same as being in a studio and being in rehearsal and performing with others. So especially for dancers with um, depression, it seems to be getting worse. And the other thing, um, it's called peritraumatic dissociation, and it happens with really high anxiety under acute stress situations where you go numb and you feel like nothing matters. Uh, so they feel like they don't really love anyone anyway, so it doesn't matter, or they don't have any emotional response. But it's actually, they have such an intense response that they're dissociating. And that makes them trouble because then they feel like they're just not empathic, caring people. And they are, they're just dissociating as a coping strategy. And then the other thing that I'm hearing being reported is when people are being more confined, either if they're alone, they don't have a partner or family, or if they do, whether it's being um, sustained remotely or in person, people are having more fights, they're having more makeup sessions too <laughs> so there may be more babies coming along yeah. my husband and I <laughs> joked will, will it, which will be higher in, a, in December will it be the divorce rate or the birth rate yes exactly and both are going to be high <laughs> yeah so you know those those kind of things are, are just normal stress responses unfortunately and um in terms of anxiety and worry, it's a, it's a normal thing in a stressful response, but how to manage that is really simple, um, limiting media exposure and trying to find ways 
where you have a feeling of efficacy. So social distancing and uh, remote social connecting are ways of having a feeling of efficacy. Uh, the exaggeration uh, that is uh, implemented with heightened anxiety is that you start to feel like the threat is greater and your coping strategies are insufficient. And we're seeing that as we hear new death toll counts every day, as you go into a store and there's just no supplies, uh, where people are laid off, financial health is just devastated. So the question then becomes, are they overestimating the threat because of anxiety? Or is the threat that great? And in this current situation, it is that high. So you're not being, you're not disillusioning yourself. They're facts. And that then sets you into the situation of how do you feel like you can have efficacy? And so for dancers, um, trying to stay on a schedule, trying to eat properly, what I'm hearing is some can't eat at all and others are overeating. Both of them are distressing. So the eating disorder behaviors are increasing. Um, same with sleep. Some are not able to sleep. Some are oversleeping. And again, hallmarks of anxiety and depression. Um, and exercise, I don't know what you're hearing, but a lot of the dancers that are contacting me, they're doing every online fitness class with fitness app they can put their hands on. They're doing all sorts of things. Or they're just binge watching um, a bunch of series. So it's like, all right. And what's really frightening for students, and I hope faculty get the memo, they can't think. They read papers like tasks that they're supposed to do online, and they can't organize their thoughts. And online platforms are increasing more assignments and written responses. And really strong, able-minded students can't think. They just can't focus. And that's normal. So then what happens when you're a perfectionist like dancers are, is then they start to get harder on themselves and more critical. Their self-esteem goes down even more. Then they get more depressed. So that that loop, we have to constantly try to infuse hope and normalize that these are natural responses. And the over-exercising, there's research studies that have shown that if you um, exercise, it doesn't necessarily decrease your anxiety. It will help um, modulate depression. It's quite good as an antidepressant, but it doesn't necessarily abate anxiety. And part of that is that fight-flight response. It's a physiological response that you're just trying to run faster and you're fundamentally running into the train that's coming at you. Better to better to deep breathe and meditate and activate the parasympathetic nervous system, right? Yeah, exactly. And creativity. And what's really cool online is there's so many creative pieces that are starting to emerge or things that are being edited from different people dancing and there are spots like the Ailey Company doing revelations. Creativity is really self-regulating and offers resilience. So on that level, you know, there are ways, but it's, you're exactly right. Get that parasympathetic firing. What else are you doing that you find effective in helping people manage and cope with this? Um, I probably, other people are doing the same thing, I'm, I'm sure. But I'm asking them to reach out so that they know they, can connect. Matt's asking them to keep a diary and log their their journey. They don't necessarily have to share it, but that this is a unique time in history. I'm asking them to look at how other people have survived other crises 
and the resilience of the human spirit so that they're looking to find other examples. Um, I'm asking them to find very specific tasks that they hope to accomplish in the next few days, just to shorten their, their sense of self to a manageable future. And I don't know, some of them just need more medication and telemedicine is hopefully stepping up with that. Yeah, it, it, but mainly, and for me, I'm finding that a lot of people are taking me up on reaching out, but there's a burden. I was going to say, yeah. How do you? I'm tired. Yeah. How do you <laughs> find that balance between, you know, being helpful and serving this population um, that you work with and meeting your professional duties, but also sort of establishing boundaries and um, keeping track of yourself and what you need to stay healthy and secure your own air mask? Um, I'm, I'm really grateful that I was trained very, very well as, as a clinician. So I know a lot about self-care and how essential that is, and also how to know that each person has their journey and I can walk with them on this journey, but I can't necessarily rescue them on their journey. And it sounds callous and I don't mean it that way because there's incredible empathy and care that you can offer, but you can't, you can't go into rescue mode because then they feel like they're victim. It's really helping them find strategies to cope, including talking to me and setting up other support systems. Like I'll literally do an inventory and ask them, what's on, what's on your resource list right now? Okay, you can exercise. Okay, you can try to read. Who are you gonna speak to besides me? So trying to spread that out wider. The people who are very ill, psychologically usually have a very tiny support system because they've either isolated or they've burned out their support system. And that's harder. Their, their isolation is more profound. So I try to recognize who are more psychologically ill, who have burned out their support systems. And you know, you can see them at, when they're students even they're they're pretty adrift <laughs> they just don't really have anyone so it's helping them find something and then there's the hotlines if it gets worse I mean I had to refer someone to um, the counseling center that's all remote and online and what was very troubling is the hospitals weren't necessarily taking psychiatric patients at this moment in time because they don't have enough beds Anything else you want to um, leave us with? I don't want to force you to leave us with like a glimmer of hope uh, because I think we have to be realistic. But um, if you do have any, you know, hope that you want to inject into this moment or just. Um, yeah, I, I do. Much. I do have hope. Um, I don't know what the other side of this is going to look like. Nobody does. I do think that the human spirit is resilient. <clears throat> and when I was a young student, I had a dance teacher, Fratil Tila. She uh, had worked at the Mary Wigman School in Germany. She'd gone through both world wars. She was in the Wigman Company during the Second World War. Um, she was in Dresden during the fire bombings in Berlin. Um, and she always talked to us. I mean, I was young, I didn't understand half of what she was saying, but I do now. But she always talked about how as a dancer, you would clear away the stuff from the, the you would clean up the ruins 
you clean up a little part and you would dance. You would make up a dance, whether it was your fear or whether it was doing round circles, you would make up a dance and you would do your body care. You would do your exercises, you would do your technique because you had to keep your instrument. And then, <clears throat> then the bombs would come again and then you'd get up and you'd clean the ruins and you would do it again and you just kept doing it. The difference then is they could be with each other as a dance community. And now we are being with each other more remotely, but it's, it's still the same concept. And, and dancers need to dance and dancers can express the human spirit. So, you know, sometimes she'd say, you just do lines and curves. You don't wanna do your emotions. And some days you do your emotions and they're all good, they're, you're dancing. So her words when I was, um, I think I was 20 when I started really hearing what she was saying, they, those messages mattered and we're the same. We, we have to endure this time and it will pass and we will have new tools, new skills, new understandings that we take forward. On behalf of Marissa and myself, I, Ellie Kushner, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzy, and dancer-designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to Dancewell, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help pay for our SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a donation to Dancewell, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website, www.dancewellpodcast.com. And if you have any questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.